The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to thank you for singing with us. I want to welcome you here. I, uh, I apologize it's a little cold in here, although I love it, but for those who don't love it, I do apologize for that. Um, listen, I want us to imagine a scene real, real quick. I want you to imagine that Jesus is teaching, he's teaching in this new way that people had never quite heard before. And crowds are kind of gathering around him, not knowing what to really do with him. They're pressing in all directions, from people from all backgrounds, um, pressing in around Jesus to hear what he has to say. Some who were coming around were followers of Jesus. Others were kind of like spectators, curious to see what is this guy going to say next. And still others were a bit skeptical of what they were listening to, but this guy was drawing crowds, so we're here, right? It was a bit of a mixed crowd. In fact, um, if you remember back, if you were with us when we went through, um, I guess it was two weeks ago, when we looked at what Jesus was teaching through the parable of the sower, Jesus tells this story. If you can remember, it's the same crowd. They're all gathered. He tells this story of a farmer walking, throwing seeds on, and landing on all different kinds of soils. Uh, some on the path, some on the rocks, some on the thorns, and then some still on good soil. And after he tells them this farming story, he says, look, let me tell you what this is about. And then he gives them this meaning. He says, look, the seeds that the farmer's throwing out, that's the word of God. That's the gospel. And the soils represent the different kinds of people who hear the gospel. The soils represent the different kind of hearers of the word of God. So for some, you're like the path. You're hardened. Those, those seeds fall, they land, they just don't go any deeper. There's no root, doesn't penetrate, and the seed, as Jesus said, is trampled, and the birds come and, and take it away. For some others, though, you're like rocks. You're, you're like, uh, as we talked about, stone oak soil that's like less than an inch of dirt with rock under right. So these seeds fall, they start to try to take root, there's nowhere to go, the roots never take, and so as that plant tries to grow, it withers. And some of you, Jesus says, are like this. The gospel hits your ears, you, you hear it, but it doesn't take root, and that seed withers. Still others, he says, you're like thorns. Those seeds fall, the roots start to take, but like a plant trying to grow in the middle of thorns, it just grows up and gets choked out, absolutely choked out by the thorns. Jesus said, some of you are like this. The gospel begins to take root and grow only to get choked out by the world. And he says, and still others are the good seed. The good seed, the good soil that the seed takes root. And then as Jesus says, it bears fruit. It hits your ears, it takes root, and then it bears fruit in your life, Jesus says in this this teaching. As for the good soil, in verse 15 of chapter 8, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Jesus says the good soil is known because they hear and do. They hear and do the word of God. 
And these different soils, again, just representing the different, the different ears of the people around Jesus. And I, want, and I want us to think of this scene because as Jesus taught in the middle of this crowd, this crowd was a little bit of a microcosm of this parable. All around him was different soils, different kinds of hearers, different kinds of people hearing what Jesus was saying. And it's really important for us as a church to wrap our minds around that in order for us to see how this text that we're gonna look at is, is so profoundly encouraging. Around Jesus, you have all types of people, as Jesus teaches. All of these crowds are pressing in. In this moment, he's surrounded by all of these different kinds of people. And with that scene in our minds, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 8. In our text, we're going to start in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Then his, his mother and his brothers came to him. So this is Mary, mother of Jesus. This is Jesus' brother. They came to him, and then our text says, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. So this was Jesus' own flesh and blood, his own mother, brothers trying to get to them, but they couldn't, right? The crowds were packed. They couldn't make it in. And Mary and the brothers literally kind of stuck outside, right? All right, follow with me, verse 20. And he was told, so Jesus was told, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they're desiring to see you. In verse 21, but he, that's Jesus, answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. All right. I want to encourage us all to take this text at face value. All right, here's what I mean by this. I want us to take it literally, because there's a lot of people who have read this and kind of um, dissed on Jesus' family a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of people who have read this as something metaphorical to, to mean, see, Mary and the brothers, they were outside, as in outside of the community, the believing community. Um, meaning they were outside of Jesus' followers. And people have used this to, to say, look, even Jesus' own family rejected him, if you've heard this before. Um, I want us to be careful with this. I want us to read this at face value because Scripture gives us every indication, for example, let's deal with Mary herself, that Mary was a believer of Jesus, <laughs> That um, she was not only the mother of Jesus, but that she herself was a disciple. We get every indication that Mary herself was totally committed to Jesus as her Messiah. And more than that, we get a glimpse of the brothers here. We, we have evidence that just a few years later, we see Jesus' brothers carrying on this Jesus movement. In fact, James and uh, probably Jude became leaders in the church. I say this because I want us to be careful, because this text, if we take this text to be a text that says, boom, slam, we just slam Jesus' family, right? If this is an indictment on Mary and the brothers, then we have missed something beautiful. If we take this text to mean, well, look what kind of soil they were. We've missed something beautiful. In fact, um, I just want us to just think about this. Uh, if you're imagining this scene, Jesus was not talking to Mary and he was not talking to the brothers because they weren't even in the room. That's the whole point. They couldn't get into the room. Jesus wasn't talking to Mary. He wasn't talking to his brothers. He was using them as a teaching tool to the crowds 
that we're watching him and listening to his every word. In other words, so Jesus just used this farming parable to teach a lesson. Now Jesus here is going to use his own family and that imagery to teach about the family of God. He uses them as a teaching tool for the crowds that were around him. Let's unpack this. Um, Remember, again, they're stuck outside, and and Jesus here talking to the crowds around him, using this, this as a teaching tool, points people to the good soil again. Those who hear and those who do. He points them, uses this teaching moment. And I want us to just think about something, because it's easy to read this and think, wow, Jesus, that's harsh. Like, that's your mom. She's outside. That sounds harsh. It sounds a little, she birthed you, Jesus. She is outside right now, and you say, what? Right? It's easy to read this and, and, and think that Jesus left his own mother high and dry. And here's what I want to do. I want to read this text again, and I want, us to, I, I want to read it the way I think some of us can read it if we're not careful. We can read this text and say, he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, no, let them wait outside because they're dead to me. My real mother, my real brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, just let them wait outside. We can read this text and kind of pick that message up. But I want to challenge you to read it with me like this. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you, and he answered them. My mother and my brothers, my family, looking at the crowd, are the ones who hear the word of God and the ones who do it. So I want you to just think, my mother, my brothers, they're now outside, you see them, and and you think, they need to be in here because they're your family, Jesus. You see them as deserving special privileges because they are your family, Jesus. And now Jesus looks at that crowd and says, I tell you, hearers of my word, I am telling you that you can be my family. You can be, you are my family through the gospel and through the word of God. You are deserving of all of the privileges that come from being a member of my family. In other words, he's not demoting Mary, not demoting his brothers as his family. That's not what is in, he's not insulting his mother. Instead, he's looking at this crowd. He looks at them, he has their attention in this moment, and he basically tells them this, you are invited into my family. You are invited into my family. This was, he, in, in teaching this, he was encouraging his spiritual family, telling them, you no longer are just a face in the crowd, just a member of this audience. No, you are, through my words, my disciples, my followers, you are family. You are brother. You are sister. You are welcome. Through faith, you receive all of the privilege of being my family. This is really a text of good news. And so let's talk about family. Let's talk about what it means to be family. More than that, I want to talk about what it means to become part of Jesus's family. And to do that, I want to, I want to tell you a story. So when I was in uh, college, I took a course called evangelism. That's a weird course to be taken in college. I get you. Um, 
And it was odd, honestly. Um, The reason I took it is because midway through my college career, um, I felt the Lord was beginning to call me into pastoral ministry. And I knew uh, specifically that he was calling me to teach and, and lead in the church. And so I knew, I began to feel really confident that after college, the next step for me was going to be seminary. So I thought, well, what if I transition my architecture degree to business and then my business degree to biblical studies? Because if I do that, maybe I'll get ready for seminary. So I did this transition, and a part of this transition, I had to take classes, you know, like evangelism, which was, which was fun. And um, actually, the class was pretty good. It was, it was pretty good. It, it was challenging. It stretched me. But I remember one particular project, and this project was not my favorite. Um, the project was this. Canvas an entire neighborhood. Door to door walk through an entire neighborhood on a Saturday morning, knocking on each and every door and to try to share Jesus with them. And I remember the first day of class, I pulled out my syllabus and I saw this project. And instantly I was like, oh, no. (laughs) No, not me. Door to door. I got this lump in my throat. I'm a bit introverted, and so this was grating against me, and I thought, well, what on earth am I gonna do? I feel like a traveling salesman. Um, I was dreading it all year, and so I put it off all year until finally, in order to finish this class, I needed to get this thing done, and so the Saturday came. A friend of mine um, who had also procrastinated, we got together, and here we go. Final project. Uh, it was time. So what we did is we developed a survey, and it was this uh, asking several questions about, do you believe in a God? Do you believe in an afterlife? Things like that. And the whole survey kind of built and built and built until the final question, which was, so if you were to die today and you were to stand before God, and, and God were to look at you and ask you, so why should I let you in to my heaven? What would you say? What answer would you give? So that was kind of the final question, because that would hopefully open the door for conversation. Some of you are like, I'm glad I wasn't in that class. Um, Out of about 50 doors, there's probably about 50 doors, right, um, in this neighborhood, and uh, about 25 probably answered the door, which is generous. No judgment here. I would not answer that door, so no no judgment there. Um, But of the 25, uh, about 15-ish, more than half, told us, I don't want any part of this. No thank you. Enjoy your Saturday. Um, and they didn't want to participate in our little survey. But there were about 10-ish that did. And uh, I want to tell you a story about some of them. Uh, two, of, two or three of the 10 were actually believers. In fact, I, I went through my spiel. This one uh, older gentleman invited us in. I went through my spiel, and he, he looked at me, and he goes, after we were done, he goes, well, well done, young man. Next time, be more bold. Get to Christ earlier. It's like, <laughs> turns out he was a deacon in his church. And uh, he was judging me and critiquing me. It was helpful. Um, But of this project, I want to share a story about three of the answers that I I got. The first I want to share was uh, pretty close to the beginning of the project. It kind of, there was a man who answered the door. His wife was behind him. And uh, I started in my survey. He let me, he let me start. He was really direct though. I could tell this might not be fun, but he was direct and he, he, He played along with me. He was right to the point. 
And I remember that I got to the last question and I said, so if you were to die today, stand before God, he were to ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And I remember distinctly his response because I thought he was joking. He looked at me and he said, son, I'm an American. And I just waited. It was, I was like, and? Um, he just left it. He said, son, I'm an American. I remember him looking back at his wife and being like, help me out, you know? I'm an American. And as the silence just sat there, I said, would you explain that to me? Maybe a little more. And, and he went on to tell me the story about the founding of this wonderful nation and um, talk about the Christian heritage of this nation. And uh, it became really difficult for me to get words in after that point. It was kind of, he began to preach at me a little bit. And I remember... Um, this man, through his answer, I just remember thinking, wow, he just revealed something really big. Really, really big. He was basically basing his acceptance before God Almighty. His standing before God, basing it on his national identity. And he believed, you know, I'm on Team USA. I'm on Team America. Of course, God's going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful American that the God of the universe is going to look on, there's something obvious here, and I hope we see this, is that it's really dangerous when we equate American equals Christian, or Christian equals American, or American, or Christian equals any other nation. I love our country, and hear me, I, I hope I don't offend any of you. If I do, I still, I love you, all right? Um, but hear me, American does not equal Christian, America does not equal God's chosen people. America is not the new and improved Israel, and being American or belonging to any other nation, hear me, does not earn you a seat at the table. In fact, let me push this a little further, not even Israel itself, Israel herself, the chosen people of God, not even Israel can claim an in with God apart from the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If Israel can't claim nationality as the golden ticket to get into heaven, I'm sorry, but your American flag is not gonna cut it either. It is not gonna earn you adoption as a son or a daughter of God. No nationality will make you even more adoptable into the family of God. To stand on anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ will not stand. Nationality makes a lousy ticket into the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about another door. Um, that was, like I said, early in this project, and I thought, oh, no. What a day I have ahead of me, right? Um, the next door I'll tell you about was a, a middle-aged woman who was really nice. She was so kind, and, and I tell you, when you're going door-to-door, -door, kind people really stand out. They're few and far between, and I remember this woman. Um, I, I actually don't remember much about the conversation until the question, the last question, and I remember asking, if you were to die today, stand before God, he were to look at you and ask, why should I let you in? What would you say? And I remember her then shifting and telling me about she had come from a long line of Christians, that um, I come from a Christian family. My grandpa was a pastor. Um, 
I was raised kind of in and around the church. And then she stopped talking. And I was waiting for what was next again, but there, she was done talking. So I tried to push on this, and I was like, that is so great. Tell me about your walk with Jesus now. I mean, what church do you belong to now? And, and um, I remember her telling me, you know, I'm not part of a church now. Life is kind of busy. And, you know, I know that God is here for me. And uh, even in my living room. So I don't need to get into any of that. I mean, I'm good. I'm from a Christian family. And from that point on, every question I asked her seemed to be deflected to her upbringing. I mean, every one, it was like a shield. Like, how is your walk with Jesus? Deflect. My dad's was good. Like, it was, it was just defensive mechanism. Why should I let you get into heaven? Her answer, my family. Let me just um, push on this. Let me just tell you, family is just as bad of a golden ticket as nationality. Um, If uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, as she stood before God, was asked, why should I let you in? If family wouldn't have been her ticket, it's not your ticket either. We are saved by grace through faith. We stand on the work of Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ as the only answer. If Israel can't claim nationality, neither can you. If Mary can't claim family, neither can you. Both are faulty footing. Both of these will not stand. Let me tell you one more door and then I'll move on. This one was toward the, the end. I remember that distinctly because I remember how hungry I was at this point. I was ready, thinking about lunch. Um, but I remember knocking on this door. A younger mom came to the door. She, again, was really kind. She was open to talk with us. I remember her kids kind of running around and nerf gunning her and stuff, and it was fun. And um, she did the survey with us, and we started in. She said she believed in, I remember this, a God. It's like a ding, ding, ding. Let's ask that later, you know? And then she believed the supernatural. She believed in an afterlife, that death was not the end. And then I asked her the golden question, you know, if God said, why should I let you in? What would you say? I remember just being really struck by her honesty. She said, you know, I don't know. If there is a God, I would stand before him, I think, as a pretty good person. She said, I mean, I'm a good mom. I'm a good wife. Um, I don't cheat, steal. And, and then she kind of rested on this phrase, I do my best. I do my best. It stuck with me. And, and she said, I think God will look at me, look at my life and be proud of me because I did my best. For this woman, it wasn't her nationality, it wasn't her birth, it wasn't her family. For this woman, it was just, she tried really, really hard to be good. She tried her best. And I think my whole time canvassing this neighborhood on this Saturday morning was a divine appointment for this moment. Because after she said this, I I was able, we were able, my friend and I, to talk to this woman about God. We were able to talk to her about what he has said, what he has told us about life, what he's told us about eternity. We were able to, to talk to her about sin. We were able to talk to her about trying really hard and that none of us are perfect, that all of us have fallen short. We were able to talk to her about there is only one that is perfect, that is Jesus. 
we were able to talk to her about the gospel. And uh, I wish I could say, like, she just went into full-blown repentance in this moment. She didn't. But it felt like a gospel moment and a gospel conversation. I was grateful for the whole morning because of that conversation. But I remember, um, I remembered this project as I was reading Luke 8. It just came to my mind. It, it, it recalled these conversations. Because in a real way, what we're able to see here in Luke 8, what we're able to see in this portion, is, is that nothing in our physical birth or environment determines our relationship with God. There's nothing in our physical birth or environment that determines our relationship with God, only our response to his word. The family of God is, is not defined by biology. It's not defined by your bloodlines. It's not defined by your nationality, your nature. The family of God is defined by grace. And that is really good news because regardless of your past and your background, regardless of where you came from, regardless of anything, you're invited into the family of God because it's based upon the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And you're invited into that. It's really, really good news. Jesus said there is only one determining factor. Only one. And that's your response to the word of God. Your response to the gospel of Jesus. That and that alone. That and that alone is what gives you the right and gives you the joy to say, I am in the family of God. That and that alone we get to call each other brother and sister. Because of that and that alone, we cry, Abba, Father. Because of that and that alone, hearing the word of God, responding to it. Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's unpack this with our time remaining. I wanna, he says, hear and do, hear it and do it. I wanna spend some time thinking about this and we'll start with the hearing no matter who you are, no matter what kind of soil you may be, I want to ask you, how do you hear the word of God? I remember reading about a man um, named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, if you don't know much about him, <laughs> he is an incredible story. This guy is a brilliant theologian, pastor, uh, seminary founder and professor, also, he was a spy, an international spy in Hitler's Nazi Germany. Talk about an interesting combination. This guy was an interesting guy. Um, Bonhoeffer eventually would be martyred at the hands of Hitler right at the end of World War II. Um, incredible story. Um, but I remember uh, Bonhoeffer read, uh, ran an underground seminary during the most oppressive days of World War II. And in this seminary, it was underground. He would teach pastors. He would teach uh, missionaries how to preach the word, study scripture, study theology. And there's this, there's this story about him in every one of his preaching classes. Um, he was known for something. So Bonhoeffer, like I said, brilliant theologian. He was the smartest guy in the room, regardless of the room. That was Bonhoeffer. He would always, regardless, stop everything. He would always put down his pencil 
And he would listen intently with his Bible wide open as any student preached the word of God. Undivided attention. Pencil down, Bible open, listening to every single word. No matter how bad that sermon might have been, Bonhoeffer would be completely caught up in the words. And I love this because he was asked why. Why do you do this? And he said the reason he did this because he believed that the preaching of God's word ought to be attended as if listening to the very voice of God. He said, this is how I always try to listen. Looking to scripture always, always engaged, always thinking, always praying. How incredible is that? How true is that? How do we hear God's word? Both privately, in our own reading, in our own study, in our own listening, and collectively. When we hear scripture read, when we hear scripture preached, how are we listening? How are we hearing? How do you hear it? Do you listen to it? Do you listen to the preaching of God's word? Do you listen to scripture? Engage with it as though it were literally the voice of God. Literally God's own voice revealing himself to us. Or have we become used to it? Is it kind of mundane? Maybe has it even become a burden, something we have to do before our morning starts because Christians tell us that we have to spend time in the Bible before the sun comes up. How do we hear the word of God? Do we hear sermons as just another one preached? Do we listen to scripture as just another reading? Or is this the very word of God? God has spoken. And our God didn't have to, by the way. But he chose to reveal himself. This is our God. Do you hear his voice? But it doesn't just end with the hearing. He says, my mother and my brothers, my family are those who hear the word of God and do it. And do it. Hear and do And he's already said this. Remember, he says, the good soil, remember he's talking about the good soil? He said, the good soil are the ones who hear it, it takes root, and then it produces. They do. Hear and do. He comes back to this. And he says, my family are the ones who hear and do. Now, listen, I have three young boys. And uh, they are perfectly obedient at all times. If you work in our children's ministry, you're giving me dagger eyes right now. Um, I wish, right? I I really do. Uh, But I have caught myself, as parents, have you ever caught yourself, if you're a parent, have you ever caught yourself kind of saying the same phrase over and over and thinking, why do I keep saying that? Well, I've caught myself saying the same phrase. It's kind of my catchphrase right now. Um, when When I tell my boys something and they don't listen, They pretend like I haven't said anything and they just keep doing their thing. When that happens, on the rare occasions, right, I will catch myself saying this. I will catch myself saying, boys, my words have meaning. (laughs) Candace is shaking her head. My wife is shaking her head right now. I say this all the time. Boys, my words have meaning. What I say means something. My words have meaning. I feel as though sometimes 
that God is reminding us here, children, my words have meaning. My words mean something. My words mean something. Hear them and do them. My words have meaning. I think of Deuteronomy 11.1. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Love him and obey him. Jesus says this constantly in his ministry. Just a few of them. John 14.15 says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Children, my words have meaning. Um, Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, uh, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Second John 1, 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Hear and do. Hear and do. Last one, I couldn't resist this one. James 1.22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. This is really clear. It's really really clear. It's all over scripture. And it's like Jesus, it's like God through his word is saying repeatedly, children, my words have meaning. My words have meaning. You know those things I told you? I meant them. I meant them. Hear and do. I want to make this personal. If you're here and God's word is calling you and pressing on you to forgive someone in your life, do it. If you are here and God's word, if God through his word is pointing out sin in your life, and he's calling you to confess and to repent. Church, do it. Hear and do. If God's word is calling you to make disciples, which it is, do it. If God's word is calling you to care for those who are marginalized, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the powerless, do it. Has God told you something through his word? Then do it. If God has impressed on you to give something, then give it. If God, through his word, has impressed on you to give everything you have to follow him, do it. Hear his word as if it were the literal voice of God. And do it. Do it because our God's words have meaning. Do it because our God is good. He is Lord. Hear and do. And here's the good news. For all of us who hear and do, hear the gospel, hear the word of God, the seed takes root and the seed is received for all of us who then bear fruit. Hear the word of God and do it. You are a member of the family of God. 
you are brother, you are sister. You are like one of those in the crowd hearing Jesus' words saying, if you hear me and do me and, and do what I ask, you are in the family of God. You are my family. You are my brother. You are my sister. Uh, R.C. Sproul, in a book called A Walk with God, says this. In the New Testament, there is a special sense in which Christ speaks of the family of God. Christ is the only begotten Son of God, and the only way one becomes a child of God in the New Testament sense is by adoption. Then he goes on to say, the family, this family, is not defined by anything, by biology, by bloodlines, by nature, by anything we produce. It is defined by grace. As I said, I, I have three little boys, and um, the fact that my sons obey me does not make them my sons. Their obedience is not what makes Theo, Matthias, and Micah my little boys. But the fact that they are my sons means that they really should obey me as their father. They are not my sons because they obey. They obey because they are my sons. The same is true for us as the children of God. You're not going to obey your way into heaven. The standard for that is perfection. You've already failed that. Um, you're not gonna obey your way into heaven. When you stand before the Lord and he says, why should I let you in? You can't say, obedience, right? That's not you. You can't obey your way into the family of God. No, God loved you and while you were still caught in that dead, in that sin, he sent Christ to die for you. By grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace through faith, you are in the family of God and received adoption through Jesus Christ. You don't obey your way into the kingdom of God, but now that you are adopted, now that you have a heavenly father who has told you what is good, even when you don't understand it, who has told you what is good, who has set out his plan for you in his word, as a child of God, now we get the great joy, the great privilege of hearing the words of our Father and doing them. Knowing that he is good, knowing that he works all things together for the good of those to whom he calls. And he's invited you into the family of God through Jesus Christ. Through his word, we know, we hear, we see the gospel. It's like gospel seeds just being thrown out here today. What kind of soil are you? What kind of hearer are you? How do you hear the word of God? Has the word of God taken root in your heart and life? Has it changed you? Are you a doer of the word? Are you practicing the word? Do you read the word of God as though the Father actually meant it? Meant it to be heard, meant it to be read, meant it to be understood, and meant it to be lived out. Are you a hearer and a doer of his word? Because by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we can be confident. I want to end with this. I want to close with, uh, with reading this to you. Um, and as I read this, I want to encourage you to listen to me, to hear me the way Bonhoeffer listened to his students. Okay? 
I want to read this scripture. I'm just going to read it through, and I want you to hear me as though it were the voice of God. Literally God's word to you, because it is. This comes from 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Let's pray together. Lord, we started our time by by praying and asking for you to help us hear your word. We started our time by asking, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see? Would you help us to be the kind of soil that receives? But now, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be hearers that now can practice what you have put before us. To be both hearers and doers of your word. And we know that as hearers and doers of your word, that we are confident that we are your family. That we are not just a face in the crowd, but that you have called us as your own. And so Lord, in this, in this moment, we... Um, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we know that there is no golden ticket other than faith in Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, when we stand on anything else. And Lord, today would you grow our faith and our confidence in the word of God, in the gospel. And would you allow us to stand more firmly upon it? God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.